But if you will, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Luke 11. Luke has two parables that are very similar. We'll see it here in chapter 11. I think the others in chapter 18 will probably get to it um, in some time, um, COVID permitting, <laughs> weather permitting, all that sort of stuff. But Luke chapter 11, we want to read the first 13 verses. I think you'll recognize the first four, which is then followed by the parable. So if you will, uh, stand with me out of reverence for, for God's holy word. Verse 1, Luke writes on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend? Well, go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Our Father, thank you for your love and your mercy. As always, we ask you to open our hearts and our minds, our eyes and our ears, our mouth, our hands and our feet, that your word will be cultivated in our entire being, that we will be transformed because of your spirit. Lord, you say here that if we ask, if we seek, if we knock, will you as our loving Father not give us that spirit? We ask of it now. May I decrease so that you can increase. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. Seated. I don't know how you were raised, but both my wife and I were raised this way, that if you were, as a kid, a guest at someone's house, you ask only if necessary to do anything. If you need a drink of water, you don't just go into the kitchen and get you a drink of water. You don't turn on the faucet, cup your hands with water and drink. No, 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 no. Only if you need to get a drink of water will you then go ask, can I please, with your permission... I ask and bend at knee for a drink of water. If you are hungry, you wait until dinner, right? You don't ask, can I get a snack? No, 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 you, 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 right? Now I'm being, you know, exaggerating here. But there was this sense that if, if I'm a guest in your home, right, that, that I, I'm a guest of your home, right? I, I don't just go around to start opening cabinets and whatnot, right? That, that would be rude, when my wife and I first became parents, right? And we were figuring all this sort of stuff out. We had a, a, someone bring their kids over. They were visiting us and whatnot. The kid goes in there, swings open the refrigerator. And I thought, I just judged you and I'm not going to repent, right? That, that's the way you feel because the way I was raised, right? You just didn't do that. You don't open people's refrigerators, right? right? And, and so, so that, that's the way it was. However, I've noticed that the more you're around someone, the more you are over at their house, 
that changes, doesn't it? For example, over the weekend, I got to visit the outlaws. And, and when my wife and I were first dating, I, I, that was the policy. I go over there and, and, and only if necessary would I ask for, for, for a drink of water or, or for uh, a second helpings or for, or for some dessert, right? Only if I needed it, only if I was desperate, only if they offered, right? Well, over this weekend, I said, uh, hey, mom-in-law, I'm going to get me a water. Now, I would have never said at age 16 when we started dating. Now, I say it that way, for one, because she gets tired of me asking, asking her for water. But at the same time, I am still uncomfortable, right, as a guest in, in, in their, their own home. So, too, what you have here is a man doing precisely that, knocking on the door and begging, pleading, asking, seeking from his Friend. And all of this, from verse 1 all the way down to verse 13, what we read, you see is, is Jesus' teaching from the, uh, from the pen of Luke on prayer. And in verse 1 through 4, we see the pattern of prayer. And this, of course, is the model prayer, better known as the Lord's Prayer. Now, you see it right there in, in the beginning. Jesus has been praying. His disciples asked, will you teach us to pray as John the baptizer taught his disciples to pray? And some of John's disciples are now Jesus' disciples. Well, this is typical at this time. Uh, uh, again, we saw some this morning. Rabbis would uh, uh, pull their, their disciples aside and teach them in areas like prayer. And Jesus is doing precisely that. Um, now, the question the disciples ask is not a unique one. Every pastor, whether well-known or not, are often asked about prayer. In fact, I've often said that if I had a nickel for every time someone said, I'm going to start coming to church, and they did come, I wouldn't have any nickels. But if it went the other way, I'd, we probably wouldn't have this debt. So too, if I had a nickel for every time someone said to me, I wish I knew how to pray, it would be almost as much as the former. The first step to prayer is, of course, to start praying. I saw an interview recently uh, of, of, of Michael Jordan the greatest basketball player of all time, and, and you're not going to convince me otherwise, okay? And, and he was asked, do you think your Chicago Bulls team from the 1990s could beat the 2020-2021 uh, uh, Los Angeles Lakers with LeBron James, the unibrow dude from, from Lexington Basketball Academy, and all the others, right? Do you think that the Bulls could beat the Lakers? And he said, oh, yeah, I have no doubt our Bulls team could beat the Lakers, but we'd probably beat them by... Two, three points. So the interviewer said, two or three points? Why only two or three points? And Michael Jordan says, well, I'll tell you why. It's because we're all pushing 60 now, and I think we'd only be able to get two or three points. <laughs> well, I find that quite hilarious and does fit sort of his, his ego. But did it ever occur to you, players like Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and LeBron James and, and Kobe Bryant and Stephen Curry and Anthony Davis and uh, Carlick Jones of the University of Louisville. You know, all of those guys. It never occurred to you there was a time when they picked up a basketball and had no idea what to do with it. We almost get the impression that they woke up and, you know, as, as children, they thought, I'm going to be a professional basketball player. I've already got the skills. No, there came a time when, when they said, this is a sport I love, this is a sport I'm going to invest in, and they became the best in it. At some point, those superstars start that journey by simply bouncing a ball. 
So too, if I would, if I would say, and in the example we get here, how to learn to pray, the first of all I would say is start to pray. Start praying. It doesn't have to be a fancy prayer. It doesn't have to be a long prayer. And, surprise it or not, doesn't, you don't have to talk in King James English. But to start praying is the key to start praying. The second thing I would say is learn from the very best. Learn from those who, as the disciples do here, are known for their prayer life. But in terms of the Lord's Prayer as given to us in Luke, we won't look at Matthew's version. We'll just look at Luke here. I want to highlight two things that Jesus emphasizes. First is he wants us to see that prayer is worship. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Remember that the central purpose of prayer is not to get from God. It is simply to get God. And there is a reason why the spiritual disciplines like worship and scripture and meditation and fasting and prayer and all those are interconnected. They have at their center the adoration of our Creator, Redeemer. So when we meditate upon Scripture, we're not meditating simply just to say that we did it. We are seeking to discover and to grow in intimacy with our Creator, Redeemer. The reason we gather for corporate worship, the reason we encourage personal worship, the reason prayer is so essential and fasting and everything else is for us to, to, to grow in intimacy with our Creator, Redeemer. Thus, we cannot separate prayer from worship. This is why we would argue that you haven't really engaged in worship unless there is corporate and personal prayer. Prayer, you can't separate prayer not only from worship but from meditation. You can't separate it from scripture. You can't separate it from fasting. And so the model prayer of Jesus here begins with adoration. And what an important guard this is. Too often our prayers are requests only. Right? So you say, okay, God, I've got my list. I need you to fix this. And in that sort of prayer life, we, we turn God into a sort of servant. But what if instead we spend our prayers lifting the name of God, contemplating on the glory and holiness of God, hallowing his name, rather than demanding from God our petty preferences? And chances are it is this area where all of our lives, including me, needs the most improvement. The goal of the Christian life, as demonstrated in prayer, is for God to be lifted up. If all we do is make requests, we are demonstrating our desires to have our name lifted up, that our name would be hallowed. For those who have trekked along with us on Wednesday nights in our study of Genesis, you, you've probably seen this pattern in recent chapters. You remember that in the Tower of Babel, what is it that, that the, uh, uh, the Babelites, if you will, the Babylonians do there? In chapter 11, verse 4, it says, Come, let us build a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And what does it say? Let us make a name for ourselves. What's the whole purpose of the city there? What's the whole purpose of, of, of the tower there? It is so that we, as humans, might be hallowed. Our name might be memorialized. Later in chapter 11, verse 10, which is what we started to look at Wednesday, is the generations, right? And it's the generation of Shem. And we usually skip the, the uh, genealogy. But what's fascinating about chapter 11, so you have the Tower of Babel, let us make our uh, name for ourselves, followed by the genealogy of Shem, one of the sons of Noah. And the name Shem means name, right? So Noah named his kid name. You do with that whatever you want and feel free to make whatever joke you want because I already have made half of them. But it's not an accident, right? Right? Here are those who want to make a name for themselves. 
Then here, let's get a genealogy of name. And what's at the end of that genealogy? A man by the name of Abraham. And what's the promise God made to Abraham? I will bless you and I will make your name great. It's not an accident that that, how the story unfolds. So you see, what we see in Abraham is when Abraham makes God's name great, when Abraham lifts the name of God, when, when he hallows his name, in that our names become great. Not famous, but great. Great in the eyes of God. Isn't that what Paul argued in Philippians 2, that in Jesus' humiliation, he became one of us? He died for us, becomes his exaltation. That the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. So we start there that prayer is worship. The second thing we need to see in the model prayer is that prayer is dependence. Has it ever occurred to us that requests imply dependence? When we pray our Father, we are simultaneously confessing our dependence. Like any child that needs to be fed and clothed and sheltered, thus we too need and depend upon our Heavenly Father. It would be unacceptable for for us to say to our kids, all right, kids, you're four now. You can fix your own sandwich. You're four now. Go get you a job. Start paying rent. Right? That would be unacceptable. We understand that the kids are needy, and kids, kids need from us their bare necessities. So, too, we need from our Father the bare necessities. And it is here where we must think seriously about the issue of thanksgiving. In fact, I would argue if, if you want to see prayer, a simple approach to prayer, adoration, thanksgiving. Everything else is going to come from that. Because in your request, you are lifting the name of God, confessing your, your, your dependence, not your independence. In thanksgiving, you recognize that God is the giver of gifts. So thanksgiving is central to prayer. It is part of worship. It is also part of dependence. How many of us here lack daily bread? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? Anyone lack daily necessities? No. Isn't God good? No, but we'll pout. We'll pout because we didn't get our way in business meeting. We'll pout because something didn't go our way. We'll pout because, you know, uh, this or that. Man, what a, what, what, how much we have to be thankful. Count your many blessings, the old hymn says, and name them one by one. But why are we not more thankful? In fact, I would argue that if you want to overcome resentment, if you want to overcome stress and bitterness and envy and discontentment, cultivate a prayer life centered on thanksgiving. But you need to note here that, that when we think of requests, we have one thing in mind, goodies. God, if you could just hold off the rain until the end of the baseball game. God, God, if, if, if you can just give me a little bit more in, in, in the paycheck, we could really, really pay everything off. God, if you, would just, if you would just get my kids to understand that I know what I'm talking about. We think, we think of goodies, but you'll notice in the prayer, yes, there is physical necessities. Give us this day our daily bread. Don't forget, that wasn't always a possibility. In fact, the parable that follows shows you wake up in the morning, you probably have enough bread until the evening, supper time. You do not have a bread for if you have friends coming over after supper time, right? This is the problem. We are out of bread. Someone else needs to help us get some bread until the morning. Right? They didn't just have bread in abundance. Even during COVID season, they didn't have bread in abundance, right? 
We just don't have toilet paper in abundance. That's our problem, I'm guessing. Give us this day our toilet paper. I think it's what we were praying almost a year ago now. But notice the model prayer. It does do the physical needs. Strong marriages, healthy bodies, obedient children, food on the table. But there's also the spiritual needs there, isn't there? Notice again. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. We forgive everyone who's indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation. Now, how many of us pray like that? God, help me forgive others as you have forgiven me. God, help me to be strong in the face of battle and temptation. Is that not a need? Has anyone else got that all figured out, right? Right? No. No. We need that more than we need daily bread. The spiritual prayer is so central to thanksgiving and dependence. We need to pray for repentant hearts. We need to pray to be forgiving souls. We need to pray to have sober minds. I'm stealing this from Alistair Begg, who's stealing it from someone else. And so, copyright whoever. It's a simple prayer that I I think summarizes the Lord's Prayer based off Matthew's longer version. Quote, I cannot say our Father if I live in spiritual isolation. I cannot say Father if I do not demonstrate my relationship in daily living. I cannot say who art in heaven if I am so occupied with this earth that I am laying up no treasure in heaven. I cannot say hallowed be thy name if I do not honor him in word and life. I cannot say thy kingdom come if I don't do all that I can to hasten its coming with a great commission. I cannot say thy will be done if I am resentment, resentful or disobedient to his will for me. I cannot say on earth as it is in heaven if I am not prepared to devote my life to his service. I cannot say give us this day our daily bread if I am living on past experiences when I need fresh supply. I cannot say forgive us our trespasses if we forgive those who trespass against us if I harbor a grudge against anyone. I cannot say lead us not into temptation if I deliberately place myself in a position to be tempted. I cannot say deliver us from evil if I am not prepared to fight in the spiritual realm with the weapon of prayer. I cannot say for thine is the kingdom if I do not afford the king the, the, the discipline of obedience of a loyal servant. I cannot say end the power if I am content to live a weak and powerless life. I cannot say end the glory if I am seeking glory for myself. I cannot say forever and ever if my horizon is bound by the things of time. And I cannot say amen unless I am pouring out my desire, unless I'm pouring out the desire of my hearts. So we see not only the pattern of prayer here, we see the parable of prayer in verses 5 to 13. And so like any good teacher, Jesus mixes both narrative and uh, uh, exhortation with us. So we see the exhortation, pray like this. But in this parable, we see the sort of heart and the eagerness and the need of one who truly prays. Notice the need in this parable, verses 5 to 6. Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on the journey, have nothing to set before him. Now remember, as we said this morning, you can't understand these parables without appreciating uh, the culture of hospitality. Again, we have hotels. We have 24-hour Walmarts. If you need bread, I said Walmarts. Am I from Owen County? I just realized that. Had a teacher, this is free, had a teacher, English teacher, um, 
trying to teach English in Owen County. It's, it didn't work. And that was, that was her pet peeve. Don't say Walmarts. So we did. We just said it all the time. Had she not said that, we wouldn't have brought it up. Walmarts. We're going to have to be here a lot longer before we learn to talk. Anyways, um, uh, we have Walmart, so, so we don't need to go pounding on people's door all the time. However, um, I, to, to, to think of hospitality, I remember when my wife and I went to Trinidad on a mission trip many years ago. And the whole family all slept in one room so that we can have, really, the rest of the house to ourselves, right? I mean, it was incredible. They went out of their way to see to it that, that all of our needs were met. It was, it was overwhelming at times. Right? As an American, where we don't get along at all, they went out of their way to make us feel welcomed and to try to get us to stay, it felt like. you know. Um, but hospitality is, is very important here. And in this parable, the host had visitors, seems to be unannounced, unanticipated, you know, the, the best kind to have. And, and they came over to their house and they weren't prepared for them. And, and this would bring great shame upon uh, this head of the household, what we talked about this morning. And so to run out of food when you're a host is shameful. If you want a good example of this, think of John 2, the wedding at Canaan. Uh, whenever they come to Jesus and, you know, and Mary bats her eyes and says, Jesus, uh, son, uh, they've ran out of wine. What she's saying there is, oh no, every, is not everyone's going to get thirsty, but rather that we will never outlive this. We've got to do something quick now. So, so the run out of wine in that wedding was a very serious deal. So too, not to have bread prepared for a guest was a very serious deal. And so, again, since Walmart's is closed due to COVID restrictions, uh, he, he turns to his neighbor. Now, I still remember my wife and I, we, we, we did this when we first got married, right? All we had when we first got married uh, was, first of all, everything we had in our dorms. We had a lot of redundancy, right? Uh, you know, two microwaves, we don't need to. We, we got four people now. We don't need two microwaves. And, but we were short on a lot of stuff you can't use in a microwave. Like pretty much anything to do with pots and pans we didn't have, right? You know, because you don't have that in, in, in the dorms, okay? Uh, but we also had stuff from our, our wedding showers and wedding gifts and stuff. So, so God really blessed us. So here we were when our first nights together. We still have that, that, that new marriage smell. And, and, you know, we're wanting to fix dinner. We got a can of something out, right? We're going to heat it up. We got everything ready to go. The problem is... We can't open the can without a can opener. <laughs> had all this stuff, right? Had just set it up because she lived in the apartment a month before I did, a month before we got married. So she had it her way. <laughs> uh, and it's still that way. And, and, and so, but we had everything but a can opener. What do you do? I started knocking on every door of the apartment complex. Hello, anybody in there? We went, there was only uh, six, I think six apartments, it was a small apartment building. And uh, the one at the very bottom uh, knocked on a lady and she just stared at me like, I'm sorry, I'm the new guy all the way at the top. We're newly married. All I need is a can opener. I will bring it back to you in five minutes. I'm in room six, right? You can track me down. I'm not a crazy person. All I need is a can opener. That's it. And she just stared at me. Okay, stay right here. And she got me a can opener. The next day, we bought us a can opener. It's probably the first thing we bought as a couple. This guy's doing the same thing. He, he goes to his neighbor's house. He seems to be close to, and he makes this request. He has the need, and the need leads to a request. And you'll notice there he's showing up at midnight. Can I just add a little footnote? Maybe you'll miss this. Midnight means the middle of the night. Is, is that too complicated for, for us to get? 
You see, when your only source of light is the sun, midnight is the middle of the night. And it's the middle of the night, that's when you got to put wood on, on in the stove, right? So midnight is, is a real term. Midnight now means after 11.59, right? When the ball drops in New York City, right? That's what we mean. It's not the middle of the night because we're not going to bed till 11 o'clock or whatever it is. Getting up at 6, 7, 8, whatever it might be. So it doesn't quite work. Well, it it's literally the middle of the night. And notice the, the response from, from the man. Verse 7, uh, he will answer from within, right? Doesn't even want to open the door. First of all, do not bother me. If someone came knocking on your door at noon, is this what you're going to say? Probably, American, right? What does this guy want? IRS, I don't know what that is. Leave me alone, right? We don't want to be. If, if two young men on bikes, a helmet, a pocket protector, white shirt, black tie, black, bri black britches starts knocking on your door at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, something tells me the first words in your mind at least are going to be, hey, don't bother me, right? Don't judge this guy. Notice here, he, he starts out being annoyed with him. Do not bother me. I still remember on our way to our honeymoon, we stopped in Cleveland, Tennessee on our way to Murphy, North Carolina. And uh, we, we, we stopped at the Walmarts. <laughs> I didn't realize we were going to talk so much about Walmarts. And um, I got a call from one of my students. This is the day after we got married. Our first day as a married couple. On our way to our honeymoon. Uh, Brother Cal. Yeah. Can uh, you pick me up for church? I said, no. I am on my way to my honeymoon. You apparently forgot I was getting married. Because you didn't come to my wedding. This one time, I do not care if you go to church or not. <laughs> right? All right? You're the last person I want to talk to. <laughs> you and everyone else that exists right now. Right? <laughs> you know? I was annoyed. Uh, I, I don't want to be bothered. And the reasons for his annoyance are quite reasonable. Remember that most houses at this time were, were essentially one bedroom. You may have an upper room, uh, as, as in the upper room discourse, right, with the Lord's Supper stuff. But for the most part, they're, 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 one, they're one rooms. Everything is in that room. It's, it's, a, it's a studio apartment, basically. And so that means everyone sleeps in there. And you'll notice there, he says, not just he just put the kids to sleep and they've got the baby monitor on and they don't want to interrupt him. The game is on and I'm muting it and I'm having to read the subtitles while still trying to catch to see what's going on in the field. He doesn't say any of that. What he says is, the kids are in the bed with me, because that's the way it functioned, right? And so the fact he got out of the bed means he's risking waking his kids. And if you've ever tried to put a kid asleep that is awoken in the middle of the night, you know you don't want to be bothered this time of day. You don't. And if you have a bunch of kids, you know that you forgot what sleep felt like. Anyways... Everyone is asleep. He doesn't want to be, be bothered. And to wake one was then to wake everyone. And here's this guy pounding on the door. Wake up, wake up, I need bread. My wife and I have a rule that when one of us is sick, it is the other's responsibility to cut out all the noise. That means send the kid outside, threaten them with judgment. If they make a noise, whatever it may take, silence is golden. But, but you'll note that, that he isn't just annoyed with his neighbor. He also offers to help, somewhat begrudgingly, but he offers to help because he has to make a choice. If he gives the man some bread, the man will leave him alone. And sometimes that's the best choice. He could, he could make this custer's last stand or... He can have a, a serious conversation with his neighbor the next day. 
something went wrong. Please try again. Is that where the music came from this morning? Did you all hear music this morning? I'm deaf. It may have been from me. I don't know if it was. That was Siri. Huh. <laughs> That'll throw you off. My eye wife is talking to me in the sermon. I tell you, it's, it's, it's rough. It's rough. By the way, that was her joke, eye wife. So don't, don't start a rumor. Preacher has another wife. Nevertheless, the man agrees to, to uh, give in. And then we get this in verse 9 and 10. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Now, we know these verses quite well, don't we? But I think we read them the wrong way. What we hear is receive, get, open. Think about it. If you were to talk to a child who wants candy, you say, I'll get you candy. But first, you must do 100 jumping jacks, whatever. Clean your room, whatever. You know what they just heard? You can get candy. We read this verse, what we hear is get, open. That's what we want to hear. We don't care about anything else. But the emphasis isn't on that. The emphasis is on the keep on the asking. Keep on the seeking. Keep on the knocking. And that's the point of the parable, isn't it? You think that guy who doesn't want to be the shame of his, neighbor, of his neighborhood, will he stop knocking on the door? No, he needs bread. He's got to have that can opener. Otherwise, he ain't going to eat dinner. In this case, he's going to be a shame of his friend and of his neighborhood. He will keep knocking. He will keep asking. He will keep seeking bread for his friend who's come over to, to spend the night. So too, the point is, this is how we should pray. We pray, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. But even now, I bet we, what we still hear is, if you keep asking for more money, you'll get it. You keep asking for better health, you'll get it. Because we want these things, because we're Americans. And whether or not we, 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 we want to confess it, we actually believe everything that we've been told on Twist in the Bible Nightly, TBN. But what is it we are to ask for? Keep seeking the glory of God. Keep seeking freedom from temptation. Keep knocking on the door of grace and forgiveness. Keep asking for forgiveness. Keep seeking repentance. These things, the things that really matter, will be given to you. What a humbling last three verses we have here. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? If you ask for an egg, give him a scorpion. If you then are evil, scratch that last part out. That's, that doesn't fit with modern psychology and it will get you kicked off Twitter. So if you will, take your verse, your Bible, and just mark it out. God is not saying you're evil. Siri, is that what the Bible actually said? <laughs> you, were, you were eager to talk earlier. It's striking, isn't it? That, that little phrase. If you and your depravity, you're evil. Yeah, well, then my neighbor is. No, 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 no. You are evil. If you can grasp this, surely your heavenly father, who's the only good guy in the cosmos, he gets it. And how much more does he get it? 
If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would the Heavenly Father give bread? A good diagnosis? A long life? A full quiver? Lots of grandkids. That extra wing on the house. That, that robust career. The best grades in your class. Now, how much more will God give you the goodest of things? The Holy Spirit. If you keep asking Him. If you keep seeking Him. If you keep knocking. So what's the point? What's the moral of the story? Don't come to God as an entitled American. But come to God as a beloved child of a good, good father. And when you pray, pray with boldness that the time of day makes no difference to you. Your circumstances make no difference to you. Your need makes no difference to you. You come with boldness. And you come with perseverance. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. And may God be gloried through it. What I want to do is in light of an invitation. We've done this before. It feels like you can't preach on praying unless you make prayer the whole point of the service, right? So what I want us to do I'm going to ask that we close out in prayer. So I'm going to ask if, if you'll stand with me. I'm going to ask some of the men of our church to help me.